0: If you're interested in understanding more deeply the nuances, how things aren't black and white. If you're interested in questions without answers. If you like figuring it out for yourself, then you've come to the right place. I'm Sean of Dr. Sean Explains, and I approach things differently because I'm methodical. I'm an engineer. I have some medical knowledge as I'm a doctor, and hopefully I could put those things together to give us some insight into this delightful world we live in. So today we're going to try a different format. We'll have some pictures I guess so those of you who are more visual can focus. And our topic today is our way out of the coronavirus pandemic. And today is part one where we're talking about PCR testing, basically testing to see if you have the virus. So here is a picture of the virus and as you can imagine, You know, there's lots of different parts of the virus, but mainly in terms of PCR testing, like we talked about before, we're looking for the genetic material if it's present. So that's called RNA for the coronavirus. The presumption is if somebody is infected, they will have the virus. But if somebody has cleared infection, they may still have the virus, as in it may still be there, you know, a few days, a week or so. For example, if you have the cold, you could have gotten over the cold, you're fine, but you're still shedding the virus. So for our purposes, in violating whether or not somebody is infectious, we just want to see if they have presence of the genetic material of the virus. So the problem is it doesn't tell you the past, doesn't tell you whether they've had the virus and have cleared it, in which case they may be immune. We're not sure about that. It also doesn't tell you whether they could get it in the future, as in, they could be developing it now. They could be developing it tomorrow, and you just missed it by a little bit. So the question is, where do we test for? And here is the nasopharynx. So if you look, this is the nose, and when they stick that swab in, a lot of people said they're poking their brain. Obviously, that's not correct, because you're not connected to the brain here. But it's pretty far deep inside, and a lot of people feel it's uncomfortable. but the gold standard is testing the nasal pharynx to see where it is. And so there's a thought that if it's a lung, it migrates up. What about negative tests, though? What happens when it says you don't have it? Does it actually mean that? We've talked about this concept of a false negative. And I think it's important to remember that just because somebody has a negative test doesn't mean somebody doesn't have it, that just means we didn't find it. There's many different places it could be hidden. And one thought is it could be in the lungs and it hasn't gone up so far to the nose or to the nasal pharynx. So Dr. Li, the whistleblower in China who died, he had multiple tests that were negative, but then finally the test came back positive and he died a week after that. There's a case report of a man in China. He had CT findings and they're very suspicious So they st- basically kept on testing him every single day and it was not till the fifth day that his test came back positive. So this is what a CT of the lung looks like. So if you see there is definitely changes on the CT of the lung and it's much earlier than our other findings. And so the question is, what do you say? There's actually one study from China saying that, well, the CT of the lung is actually quicker to diagnose this thing than the PCR because the PCR doesn't turn positive till later. In the cases where the CT said there was something going on, the PCRs always did end up turning positive. But this is a place where there's a lot of coronavirus. This is in Wuhan. Would it be different if there's something else that could be causing this? that definitely would be different. But the U.S. is becoming more like Wuhan in how many people have it. So the problem is using a CT scan to quote diagnose it, there's only practical places where you can get lots of CT scans. And now with the idea of trying not to transmit a CT scans are also much harder to get because they have to clean the equipment very well if somebody's suspected to be positive. The other problem is what if somebody is asymptomatic? Do you test them? That's a question we'll talk about further. So let's go to the limitations. This is from the FDA talking about the coronavirus PCR. So there's a lot of limitations as you could see here, right? They say negative results do not preclude infection, which we have already talked about. You may have a false negative if the specimen is properly collected. So basically, we you know some people probably aren't swapping all the way to the back of their throat because the patient doesn't like it, you know they don't want to force it. But if it's a, not a good specimen, then you're not going to have a valid test result. There's also an issue with reagents. They're running out of reagents many times, and that's sort of an issue because there's not many companies making reagents. There's some people who made their own, right? But a lot of people are wary of using that for, I would say, unclear reasons the virus mutates in the region you're targeting, that could be an issue, you're targeting a specific area. It's not like, you know, when we do tests and we look at the whole thing, we're looking at a very small part of it. And so if that part has mutated, then, you know, well, we don't know. Hopefully we think right now things haven't mutated, but we don't know. The other thing is there's a lot of tests coming out from different companies. And so how rigorous they are, you know, that's that's a sort of debatable thing. There are some reports that some of the testing coming out of China was not very good. Um, My friend in China said, well, you know, there's difference in qualities. You know, you get what you pay for, which I think is absolutely correct, right? There are some companies that aren't doing a very good job. But it's not to say that just because a test is coming out of a European or a U.S. company, it's going to do a good job. I think right now, one of these things is we're rushing so many things and a lot of quality control might be getting missed. But we'll see further as more comes along. Because if you're testing using one kit, another kit, and you're getting a lot of different results, then you might worry. So how many tests do we need? I think the problem is more and more, just like the cases are shooting up. So if you look at mass production in the U.S., right, we obviously know we need more masks. So last year, 3M made a total of 400 million N95s the whole year. Now we're going to need a lot more than that. They estimate $1.1 billion, but I think we're going to need a lot more. So, for example, if we say n 5s are better, and I think, you know, logically they are better. Right now they don't want normal people to wear it because they want to preserve it for the healthcare people. But if you give it to everybody, the U.S. population is already more than 300 million. That's already more than 300 million because you don't. I mean, how long could you wear NA5 for? A whole month? That's sort of stretching it, right? But say we do stretch it. Well, what about in a hospital when they change it more often? Many times people are getting one a day. Are they going to need more? I think they are going to need more. In the same way, testing, you'd actually need a lot more. Because if you can't tell whether somebody's immune or not, you just have to test them. So if you look at the cases, there's just sort of rising exponentially in the US. And so if the cases are rising, there's probably a lot of people who have it who are asymptomatic, but they could still be spreading it. Should we test them? So there's a gap. When people get it, they may not be symptomatic, even though they will become symptomatic. They're probably still shedding it. We want to know right away. There's also the fact that there's a lot of different populations who are going to need increased testing. So let's talk about those populations. So one population is high-risk people, people who work in a hospital. They come exposed to many people who have it. I think you should test them when they come to work. Just like how if you go work at some places like stores, they check your pockets before you come to work to see what you're bringing in. And they check it again when you leave to make sure you haven't stolen anything. Well, we want to make sure that the people coming to work in a hospital don't come with the virus so they can pass it on. And they don't leave the virus so they can pass it on. Of course, we're going to miss some, right? Because there's these false negatives. The idea is if you test them over and over again, you'll have less of a chance of missing it if they actually do have it. And they're just asymptomatic if they're just a carrier. If you look at the CDC guidance for returning to work, it's actually improved because in the past they just said, oh well, if you're asymptomatic, just go back to work, right? Um, But yeah, so I think the strategy is improved, but it's still not a very good strategy. So they have a test-based strategy which is recommended and a non-test-based. So the test-based is sort of, you know, still not really implemented because they just don't have the testing available. And so the non-test space, you exclude for work until you've recovered, whatever that means, right? Or seven days passed and symptoms first appeared, even though you're still symptomatic, does that make any sense? Why don't you just test them? Okay, so if you have laboratory-confirmed tests and you haven't had any symptoms, you are excluded to work until 10 days later from the first positive diagnostic test. Hmm. Why, isn't quarantine 14 days in every part of the world and we think it's somewhat limited, and in it should be longer? Why don't you just test them again to actually know? The best test is to actually know something. Many times I explain this to people in the hospital. You may worry about this or that, right? I may worry about this or that, right? Why don't I just do a test and take away the doubt? Seems easy enough to me, right? Well, I guess the reason is because we don't have testing. Another high risk situation, is people who are sitting in the airplane. You're enclosed with many people for a long period of time. Many of these flights nowadays, they're trying to push them longer longer, 15, 16 hours. That's a a long period of time. If you're infectious, let's say you have a pretty good chance of infecting somebody else. My wife told me a story about this lady who came back to Vietnam. She's infamous now in Vietnam for bringing cases back. So she has actually two passports, and she gave... I mean, she, um, I don't know, cunning cunning is a better word than smart. So she gave the officials, um, you know, her passport. That's her Viennese passport. So they couldn't figure it out. She went to Italy. And she didn't tell them. And she actually had symptoms. But, you know, she went out, party, and she was flying back home in business class. She was like a, you know, a minor celebrity. And so apparently, she finally got tested. Because she got really sick. And they, scrambled and tried to find everybody who was sitting in a plane with her in business class. And many of them had it and some of them had already left the country by then because this is days later. So it's like, well, I think there's, if you're in close proximity, it's a higher risk. And if you want to look at that, right? I think also when you're living with people, that's a higher risk. Many times they say just quarantine at home. But the thing is, if you spread it to somebody else, does that person go out? Like that's just not a good solution, right? If you think about it. There's also people who come in contact with many other people, say people who work at airports. though so I understand there's not many people going through airports nowadays. Say at grocery stores, they come in contact with many people. They've just recently started getting some protection, but I think, again, protection, you don't know whether or not they have it or not. It's better just to know. Flight attendants, obviously, delivery personnel, they come in contact with many, many people every day, right? And if they're shedding it, they're putting on your food when they're delivering to you, well, you know, you you wanna know about that. And then the last, and then the sort of, I would say, the most obvious is regular people, right? Regular people still really don't have the ability to get tested, it's a sort of a patchwork. Some places it's easier, some places it's not. There's some places they're implementing drive-through with sort of no questions asked, and it's free. Some places, you know, It's like, well, you know, you, you, I mean, I think you have it, but, you know, I mean, in New York, obviously, you know, it's just bad, right? And it's sort of like, hey, if you don't want to die, don't go to the hospital. You're not that sick. So if you look at the testing capability, none of specimens tested in the U.S. It's gone up. There's no doubt about it. But. It's not going up well enough. So the problem is, you know, if you look at the way it's worked, South Korea is one of these success stories. And technically, after a month after their first case, which is the same as when the U.S. had its first case, South Korea has tested 1% of its population. U.S. has also tested 1% of its population now. South Korea, though, ramped up testing a lot quicker. They flattened that curve, in a sense. by Making the testing curve go up. There's also a difference in the lag time between tests and results, right? There's this idea, so let's say in Japan right now they're testing people at the airport. And if you don't have a private mode of transportation, taxi is excluded, you have to wait at the airport until the result comes back before you could leave. So people literally hang at the airport for a day or two. They have boxes they sleep in. So that's an example in sort of real life why it's important to know. But I think the other thing is it's important to know sooner rather than later for people who may come in contact. Like, should I go to work tomorrow? I just got a test. Well, I don't know. It's going to come back in five days. Huh? Well, I guess. Do you want me to wait? Do you want me to go in? Right? I remember in Oregon when all this ramping up last month, one colleague was saying that, hey, yeah, we have this test at the hospital. It was a different county than where I was at. He says, yeah, it took a few days for the test, but now it's taking a lot longer, like a week. I was like, oh, for us, it's always taking a week. And so it's just that they have more of a demand, and so these companies are just taking longer. The other problem is a lot of testing is not coordinated. Right now in the U.S., we have a patchwork. You know, Trump has said we want to try to use a private sector. Um, I don't know if big hospital systems are considered private. But a lot of these big hospitals, they could develop their own tests, like university hospitals. The problem is they're not being used. They offer this capability. And so, you know, because not everything's perfect, right? So, Sutter is one big healthcare system in Northern California. And they said Sutter did explore test analysis with at least one academic provider. To succeed, an in electronic interface between a lab provider and Sutter Health is needed. Okay, so you need somebody to do data entry. Is that an issue? Um, you have a fax machine. you could get them fax results. You could hire somebody on minimum wage working from home to enter this data for you electronically. Is it that hard? It's very interesting, right? How flexible people are because you know you look at this, right? And so you know there's a nonprofit organization. They care for people without homes, medical insurance, obviously the homeless right? And so they had these people go to the lab, and they're like, "Yeah, it's not ideal, but you know, we're just entering it manually." I think that's wonderful. You know, that's the irony when people are trying to help, and it's hard to help. You know, many times you try to donate your time to these organizations, and they're like, "Oh, you know, we just we just want your money, right?" It's like, okay, we don't we don't want your extra supplies. In Singapore, here, I'm trying to find how to donate rice, and surprisingly, it's easy. I contacted a man. So sure, come on over. He was waiting for me in the parking structure below his place. We have plenty of time because we're on shutdown. And he was waiting for me before our arranged time, and he was very happy to get my food. It was some rice that I didn't, you know, I didn't know long grain rice is different than short grain rice, so I was going to eat my long grain rice, so I donated it. So big hospitals are sticking with the big providers, the ones they know, and I think that's a fault in a sense of the hospital, and also I think for the doctors. I could tell you the big ones are LabCorp and Quest, and they have a long turnaround time. But they're the ones that have been known, are well known. And doctors themselves aren't good at shopping around. Yeah, I mean, I remember when it was Christmas Day and the pharmacies were closed and I was working. And I was like, God, there's probably some pharmacies open, but I don't know what. You just have to call around. I think patients are actually much better at doing that because they sort of know just to keep looking. or as we sort of just give up. Here's a story from the BBC about a homebrew corona test. It's not really homebrew, but these are, I mean, this is the Francis Crick Institute. I would presume they're pretty knowledgeable because this is the Francis Crick Institute. If you know Francis Watson and Crick, they're the ones who discovered DNA. But they came up with their own tests, but people aren't using their own tests. So in conclusion, I would say testing is really hard. It seems like it's a much quicker timeline than to get to a vaccine. And I would say, yes, it does seem like we're ramping up a lot of testing. It's all patchwork, it's not coordinated. And I think the real issue is to make it coordinated. And I would say, at least in the US, what's harder? Coming with a technical solution or coming with government, you know, big institution coordination? I remember somebody telling me about engineering, the key to engineering. Make it hard for an engineer, don't make it hard for the user. As in, if you look at the subway tickets in New York City, I can't figure out which way to put it on the bus. And many newbies can't. That's because it's only one-sided. You can't put it on both sides, you can't put it in any direction. But like the new USB-C cable, the Apple cables, who cares about sidedness? Just make the engineers figure out how to do that. Makes it a lot easier for them, right? And I wonder if that's going to be the case, right? It's making it a lot easier for everybody else. But I think if people are willing to take it upon themselves and make their own lives a little bit difficult, we could definitely have a solution quicker than a vaccine by doing testing.